You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name's Chris. His name's Ed. This is all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Go to FamilyDry.com. See what they can do. Remember, uh, Family Waterproofing Solutions is going to help you out with your sump pumps, your window wells, but they're also going to get water out of your house. They're going to make sure that your foundation is solid. They're going to recognize there's an issue happening before it happens. Maybe you need an inspection. You're seeing weird things with the concrete around your house moving in strange ways. You got seepage, you got water damage, you're worried about it. You want to get the leaves out of the gutters. They're doing that as well. It's all at FamilyDry.com. Mention us, you get money off. Give them a call 24-7, anytime you'd like, 708-330-4466. And Ed, we're going to talk about pitching in this episode. And then on Tuesday's episode, as we move to our Tuesday-Friday schedule going forward, for releases and remember the show's on demand you can still listen anytime that you want to anywhere podcasts can be found and always at socksinthebasement.com but on Tuesday's show we're going to look at the positional players uh, the defense and the hitting that's going to be an interesting discussion as we kind of like look at what happened in the regular season look at what happened in the playoffs and what we need to change but you touched on something that I think the rest of White Sox fandom heard and seized upon right after you said it. I don't know if you influenced everybody, but I saw a lot of it after our show came out that the White Sox were pretty one-dimensional when it came to pitching, especially in the postseason, and it's one of the reasons they got burned, right? Oh, yeah, and and I actually had a little bit more time to go back and, and check this out, and I'm using a, a site called booksbaseball.net, which is pitch effects and usage and, and graphs and charts how pitchers are basically utilizing their, their stuff and how their stuff is playing, okay? And what you started to see kind of up and down the board is that where pitchers were experimenting in much of the season, June, July, into August, uh, you had starters like, uh, you know, Dylan Cease was using a changeup, and his changeup all but went away at the end of the year. And Lance Lynn really started relying on his cutter and started relying on his four-seamer and kind of went away from being a sinker baller towards the end of the year. There's some guys like Michael Kopech who are never anything other than two-pitch pitchers where he was basically fastball slider the entire season. And when he did, you can tell where he was in the starting rotation because you did see some change-ups or curveballs or some third pitch that he's trying out. But by and large, it was heat. It was slider for him. And th- that was just kind of up and down the board. Guys went away from pitches or... In the playoffs, they went back to their bread and butter, and, and, and Lucas Giolito was the one for the playoff situation that really ended up being the one that, that I glommed onto because for him, his slider towards the end of the season had become a much bigger pitch for him. He was getting good whiff rates off of it. Uh, he was you know getting good swing percentages off of it, but you look at that game that he pitched in game two, and the slider usage is way down. So he had just gone fastball change, which is his bread and butter. Those are his two strongest pitches. But the problem is, is for a lot of these guys, too, because they were so one note at the end of the year, they're all tiring out, right? Oh, yeah. So as I'm looking at batting averages against their their best pitches, you can see almost across the board the batting averages are going up, the slugging percentage is going up. 
and all it was was that and, and the movements going down in some situations velocity is actually pretty steady for most of the guys but they're just not getting good control they're not as sharp the pitches aren't as good so it becomes one much easier to guess when you don't have to respect a third pitch off of a reliever or off of a starter and two well frankly if the stuff's not as good towards the end of a long season if you don't have that something that change up that curve something else that you can get over and that guys have to respect at the plate you're going to see what happened happens right that the, the guys are going to start teeing off on it and unless you're Liam Hendricks who is one of the most consistent guys or Ronaldo Lopez who is remarkably consistent with his stuff all the way across too you're going to suffer at the end and it was it's just sort of infuriating to watch and look at this and study this and say that it's got to be a team-wide thing. It's got to be something either with Yaz calling games or with Ethan Katz and the rest of the management game planning or something, but they just, they just sort of fell into a pattern. And, and it's, it's, I think that's problematic for them going forward, especially because while they were doing this, a guy who actually changed his arsenal got better. And that was Aaron Bummer who started using a cutter more often and started using less of his sinker and became more of a cutter slider guy. And you saw now, I, yeah, he had a bad game one. You know, he was charged. He had an infinite ERA at the end of that, at the end of that game because the, the, the inherited runner scored uh, and he got doinked to death on those infield hits, but that's going to happen to Aaron Bummer every once in a while. But if you saw like when he was really on, especially in those playoff games and he's facing Michael Brantley, I mean, I think he just got over overused Tony had to rely on him too much for, you know, in, a, in what ended up being a four game series, but bummer actually sort of reinvented himself on the fly a little bit and became more effective as the year went on. So there's, there's something to be said about this. And, and I, I don't know if there's a pitcher you can sign or trade for that's going to cause that situation to be updated, but certainly it's something I think that as Sox fans, we're going to have to watch that going into next season and see if they break that streak. And unfortunately, maybe something where we see it at the start of the season where they're tinkering with new pitches and getting some success with them. But then at the end of the year, they go back to trying to overpower guys and it's not going to work out well again. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about the pitching. I heard Steve Stone on the score with a guy that I would still love to have on this show at some point. He's like my favorite guy on the score. I think he's the best one on there, Lawrence Holmes. And uh, he was talking about Michael Kopech was just basically a thrower this year, and he needs to learn how to be a pitcher. Uh, there were guys who had success on this team that you you don't know if you're bringing back. Like Ryan Tapera was the one guy that really kind of found a way to get hitters out in the postseason. He was the most consistent or one of the most consistent uh, that was able to go out there and just do what he wanted to do with with Astros hitters for the most part, and he's going to be a free agent. So I want to break down all these different things that that could happen in the offseason. Who do you want to keep? Who do you want to move? Do you want to change a bunch of things around on this team? I look at this team and I think to myself, Rick Hahn built something from nothing, basically. We had a team that needed to be torn down you had to go through a rebuild. You now built up this, this base, which means they're a competitive team with a lot of guys signed long-term, and you now have a base of which you can build a champion off of. But now you might need to move some guys. You might need to make a trade here or there. You might need to make another signing. There are things that might need to be changed within the team to unlock the championship that you want eventually. And, and I think that's the thing I'm looking at. You know, here's the thing. First off, 
We learned a really weird, interesting tidbit on Thursday from Jerry Reinsdorf mouthpiece, Bob Nightingale of USA Today. Bob seems to get all of his information straight from Jerry. I think if you're paying attention, I mean, that's my assumption. That's the assumption of an awful lot of other people that watch the team. And in the middle of trying to say, especially after Mike Schilt was fired by the Cardinals and everybody was like, oh, La Russa to the Cardinals. He went right out there and immediately said, no, 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 no. Not only is Tony staying, but it's a three-year deal. So if you thought for a moment that this was like a one-year trial, and think of how silly that is, Ed. That's the, that's the most absurd thing. He had been out of baseball for 10 years. He's 77 years old. The team knows, at least we assume, about the issue that he had with the DUI and that it could be egg in their face, and they gave him a three-year deal. Now, to this point... You, you can't say it's a negative. You can't say it's a positive. I still think the jury's out on him. Like I said before, he didn't lose the series. He just lost game two for this team. I, I don't think that that actually loses the series when you look at the overall work that they had in the postseason. But Tony's back next year. You would assume that they're going to give the coaching staff all another shot to do this. So in reality, these are going to be personnel moves. So we kind of have to take a look here and say, who would you keep? Who would you get rid of? I'll tell you right now, I've got my pipe dream. You want to hear it? You want, to, you want to know what my pipe dream is? I would love is? to hear your pipe dream. Here's my pipe dream right now. And it, it's a complete pipe dream. Cesar Hernandez, fire him into the sun. Don't give him his option. He's gone at six mil. Get rid of Craig Kimbrell's money. Either Dave Dombrowski with the Phillies has already had a little discussion on the phone with Rick Hahn. He's like, you pick up the option. You trade him to me. I give you this guy. Or just get rid of him and save the money. You give him a $1 million buyout. You get 15 more million dollars that you can play with because you assumed you were going to keep him. Rick Hahn said it after the trade. This is a long-term thing. We're holding on to this guy. We're spending that money next year at $16 million. And then if you can move Dallas Keuchel in the last year that you're stuck with him, if you don't want him, if you don't think he's the right guy, if you don't think he's going to rebound, there's $18 million that comes off the books if you're able to deal him. And if you pay like only 20% of it, let's say you pick up a little bit of the cash, you can still take enough off in which you could pay the salaries in 2021, for Kevin Gaussman, who I got the idea right away after you talked about the diversity of pitching, he throws five different pitches. Yeah. He's that guy that throws the splitter. The, the, he's, got, he's got all these different pitches that you kind of described in the last show. And I was like, can I find a guy like that that's out there next year? That's a guy who could be out there next year in, in the open market that you could try to go after. And then Marcus Simeon. He, he made $18 million last year. He could be your second baseman. You could take that money and immediately get those two guys in free agency. Now, that's a complete pipe dream. That's in a vacuum. It's going to be hard to be able to pull off. Other teams want those guys. But if you want to be a champion, you better be in the discussion. You, you better be you know kicking the tires on deals like that. You can't walk back out there with what you had last year, I think, and win a title. So there's a lot of stuff you have to do. We're going to break down the ARB numbers for some of these pitchers. We're just talking pitching today. We're going to break down uh, what Keuchel has left on his deal and you know what you might be able to get for him if you decide you want to move on from him. Uh, we're going to break down who could probably be in the starting rotation next year. I mean, did Reynaldo Lopez do good enough that you would think about putting him in the rotation? There's so much to talk about. This is Socks in the Basement. Found everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. 
I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms right now at creakybone.com. And a quick reminder for you that Elite Benefits of America has given us $1,000 to give away to somebody who brings us the best, the biggest, the most surprising guest. It is the $1,000 guest bounty here on Socks in the Basement. It runs all the way until spring training. In fact, we probably won't even go and put the vote out there of the ones that we think were like the top four or so where we do the online poll and the person that wins it who brought the best guest and it doesn't need to be a baseball player. It doesn't have to be anybody around the game, although that would be cool. It could be anybody. Bring in that guest, get them on the show. You could win a grand all brought to you by Elite Benefits of America. They help small and mid-sized companies set up insurance policies that cost an awful lot less in dollars and protects your employees. Be the employer of choice. Go to EliteBenefits.net or call Butch Seymour at 708-535-3006. So here's the big question that I got to ask you. What are you doing with Kimbrel? Because you are really running a risk, as it has been reported, telling people you're picking up his option just to trade him. Because I think you're losing some leverage doing that. So you better already have an idea of multiple teams that want him and even with that knowledge, are still going to give you something good for him. Otherwise, just free up the $15 million and go shopping in free agency. See, I disagree with you. I don't think there's any loss of leverage by Rick Hahn being transparent about the fact that he's picking up the option with the intention of uh, trying to trade him. Because there, I, I really do think there's a huge market for Craig Kimbrell out there. There's not a lot of guys who are potential Hall of Fame level lockdown closers that are still sitting around. And I really do think that the narrative is out there about Kimbrell that he was miscast as a setup guy for Liam Hendricks. You didn't see Tony going to a closer by committee and using Kimbrell and Hendricks in situational stuff or moving Liam into higher leverage situations earlier in the game. He kept it very much old school and said, Liam's my guy. So you referenced the Phillies, okay, or the Mets, or I, I think National League teams in particular, even the Braves, uh, you know, I, I think are a team that, that could look at it again. And Kimberl was there once upon a time. But I think there are teams that are out there that are going to be willing to give the White Sox a useful player and will be able to will be willing to pick up Kimberl's contract for the year. Because if you think about it for them, it's a one year deal, basically, at at probably very much market value for what he's worth and what a closer can get and what a closer of his level can get. And I think they'll look at what he did with the Cubs, and I think they'll look at it and say, okay, if I can give Rick Hahn something useful, and it doesn't have to be low-end prospects, we're not in the rebuild type of a situation, it could be a situation where another hole that we have to fill gets filled 
by Craig Kimbrell going to that team. So you could go, for example, to the Braves, who now are going to have a glut of outfielders with Ronald Acuna Jr. coming back next year, right? Or have seemingly have starting pitching that's out there or relievers, you know, middle relievers, things like that that are good. You could actually go and get a major league level player from the Mets, from the Braves, from the Phillies, something that they don't want to have anymore on their team, something that they are willing to replace that is going to be a good fit for the Sox. Well, the only thing I'm trying to figure out is what you're going to actually get for them. Like, are you trying to get a player that's actually going to be out on your team like all year long? You're looking for like a starter. Are you looking for that right fielder? Because look at the projected free agents in the outfield. There's nobody that goes out there and can hit but also play defense. It's just an entire right. class of free agents that are either washed it's up. It's all DHs. It's yeah, all, exactly. Yeah. No, and we're going to get into that on the next show. But I mean, like, that's the one position you're going to have a very hard time finding an upgrade over what you might already have because there's not a lot out there. Like, everybody's like, oh, Michael Conforto from uh, from the Mets. And like you mentioned the Mets, that they might go make a deal. Well, he's going to be a free agent. Well, get, you know, guess what? You look at him, you go, eh. But when you look at his defense... He's just as bad as if you stuck somebody like Andrew Vaughn out there in right field. Like that's where his, his like what he, I don't want to get into what we're doing right. on the next show, but I mean, the, the point I'm trying to make is that you're either dealing Kimbrell for a position you don't think you can get in free agency or you're dealing Kimbrell for prospects or something that's in the future. And you figure rather than just let him go, I think I can get rid of that money and pick up a player. And that's a gambit right there. You screw that up. People are going to be sitting around saying, oh, are you crying poor? Because you could have just cleared $15 million and gone and gotten something. Well, yeah, and, and I think that there's there's always going to be some inherent risk that you don't get the right deal. But I also do think, like I said, I, I, just, I think that, especially with the National League teams, there are a number of teams that are going to look long and hard at their bullpen, uh, are going to look at, you know, it, it, remember, come spring training, everybody except for the Pittsburgh Pirates are probably going to feel like they're in contention. And so you can't tell me that the Reds aren't starting to think about their closer situation since they kind of rotated through guys all year long and had a real chance at winning. Or that the Cardinals, who struggled with the closer situation, where Alex Reyes was really up and down for them this year, they aren't going to have something, you know, potentially to give over uh, to Rick Hahn that's useful. And, And maybe it is a prospect or two. And that goes into, you know, the idea that as you get better, you're not going to get those high end draft picks. So maybe you are trying to pluck good prospects from other you know, other organizations, especially if it's something where someone is, is held back. But I think with Kimbrell and I think with Keuchel too, if you want to talk about Dallas Keuchel right now as another high priced veteran whose salary you would like to move. And, and let me just tell everybody real quick, Dallas Keuchel, because a lot of people have been trying to remember like what his contract is, $18 million next year. Then you either give him 20 million by picking up his option for 2023, or you pay him a million and a half to go away. So that's what you're trading. Right. So you got to find somebody who's like, yeah, he's worth that. And I think that's, I think the difference between Kimbrell and Keuchel is, is that with Keuchel, you'll probably have to pick up some of the salary, but if you wanted to move him, you might be able to move him to a team that is desperate for starting pitching and doesn't want to necessarily go out in free agency because they feel like they, maybe they can get Keuchel and have the Sox pick up 50% of the guaranteed. And, you know, the Sox gain 9 million in that situation. Another team gets a veteran starter for 9 million that is probably going to cost more for them to go get Kevin Gaussman. Um, obviously pitching in two different stratospheres right now, but 
But yeah, I, you know, I, I think there are going to be teams that are going to look. Pitching is at a premium. Keuchel was a mess this year, but he's a veteran guy with a good history, and someone might take a flyer on him. But Kimbrell, really, there's so few closers, and I think I think teams will absolutely ignore what happened in August and September with Craig Kimbrell, and I think they will look and see that. And I did look at at Kimbrell as part of you know reviewing the pitchers here. I think they will look and see that his velocity, his spin rates. His movement all started to come back towards the end of the year, even if the results weren't always great. And I do think that they're going to see a massive difference between him setting up Liam Hendricks and being a closer. And they're going to go back and say he is more Craig Kimbrell with the Cubs than he was with the White Sox. And you're going to you're going to have teams that are going to absolutely want to take a look because there was a lot of teams that were in contention this year that just didn't have the back end of a bullpen that they could solidly rely on. Hey, Sox fans, in the southwest suburbs, Davern's Tavern and Lounge in Justice, Illinois, has something for everyone. Located at 8527 West 79th Street, they have this large back party room to host an event for up to 150 people. They have a massive outdoor beer garden, horseshoes, cornhole. In fact, they host the Midwest largest blind draw bags tournament every Monday night with a major and minor league. All skill levels are welcome to Man Cave Mondays and live music with DJs on the weekends. Chicago Bears fans, there's free food during all Bears games and Davern's is a White Sox bar. During Sox games at Davern's, 250 Miller Lite bottles, $2 UV bombs, $12 pizzas, 8527 West 79th Street. Learn more at DavernsTavern.com. We got five pitchers up for arbitration where you got to decide okay. do you want to offer them arbitration. There's five pitchers, two players. Uh, the five pitchers, let's focus on them. Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez, in my mind, are the only two guys in that group that I definitely for sure want to give arbitration to. Who are the other three? Right. I mean, here, Giolito's going to supposedly come in at around $8 million, according to projections by MLB trade rumors, and Lopez at $2.8 million. The other guys, and these are the ones that I think are the question marks, Evan Marshall at $2.3 million projected he's going to make, Jace Fry at a million, Jimmy Cordero at $1.2 million. Those are the three. And to me, I look at a guy like Fry and I see that he wasn't even somebody they considered using in the postseason. And if they did, they got that thought out of their mind right away. And I go, well, you can just go get anybody. Uh, Cordero is just another guy that just throws hard. Well, and, and Cordero's coming off of an injury. You don't know what Jimmy Cordero's going to be. And, and, and he wasn't that great to begin with, so. Right. And Evan Marshall, do you really believe in him? Or do you think that that was just his best time as a reliever when he was kind of cruising last year? Right. I mean, like, I, well, yeah, Marshall is, was always just a guy to me who got hot. And, and that happens with relievers. You know, you referenced Ryan Tapera, for example, and, and the Ryan Tapera situation. And what do you do with him? Because he's got a long history of being a solid but not great reliever. But then he comes in for the White Sox and has a really strong run after he gets picked up in the in the uh, trade deadline. He looked good before we when we traded for him. He looked good. Yeah, he was having a, he was having one of his best years ever. Yeah. So so it, it, with with that, you know, you look at Tapera and say, okay, well, has has Ryan Tapera really in his thirties reached a new level? No. Well, maybe. You know, he he's not going to be physically better. He's not. His stuff's not going to be better necessarily. But he may have learned something more about how to pitch. You know, he may be more polished product. But Tapera is a guy that kind of falls along with what Evan Marshall was too. You know, he he's 
He's a guy with a history, and you can look at Evan Marshall's history and see, eh, okay, but then had a great run with the White Sox, and maybe that time is over. You know, I think back to 2005. Did the Sox win without Cliff Polite in 2005? I, I mean, at the end, they didn't need him. He was fairly good during the season, but in, in the postseason, he was a disaster. That's uh, that's how I remember him. But that, that but during the season, right, you know, he's he's their one of their key relievers. He's one of their key setup guys. And then, like you said, in the postseason, he falls apart, and then he's really never heard from again. Oh, he walked off the mound shell-shocked. It was like the end of his career. Yeah. Remember when he came off the mound in the postseason, and it was I, I looked at whoever was next to me, and I said, we'll never see Cliff Polite again. And nobody ever did. Nobody ever, Heck, I saw him at the auto show that year after the season. <laughs> he looked shell-shocked there. Cliff Polite, I imagine Cliff Polite walking around with a look of shell-shock for the rest of his life after his 2005 postseason appearance. Now watch us end up having to pay $1,000 to the guest bounty because Cliff Polite's the biggest name we get. Um, <laughs> we got to do better than that. <laughs> poor Cliffy. But but my, my point about it is, though, is that relievers come and go. And Evan Marshall is a guy who who came, did some good things. It, it may be just time for him to go because he's replaceable. Jimmy Cordero is replaceable. I mean, heck, Jose Ruiz, who, show of hands, who wanted Ruiz to stick around and now... You know, honestly, he he pitched really, really well. And if he goes into next season doing the same thing, I'm fine with him being on the team. Yeah, you know, you know he had a, with Ronaldo. He had a whip of one point one six nine for the season. Jose Ruiz. If somebody would have told me that before the season started, I would have punched him in the face and called him a liar. Like, I, there's just no way that I would have even. But thought there he that was. That was possible. In a play, it, it, there he was in a playoff game, right. getting some, you know, get some, get some pitches in. Right. He actually had a better whip than Aaron Bummer. He had a better whip than Garrett Crochet this year. Like he, his walks and hits per innings pitch were lower uh, than uh, some of the starters like Dylan Cease. It, it was he, he like, I don't know what he'll be next year. He's another one of those guys where it's like, ah, he's going to have like a, a moment where maybe a year or two he's he's good or he's serviceable. And I think he'll disappear. But the White Sox have all, always is, believed he in is him. the Evan Marshall of this year and next year. Right. The White Sox right? have always believed in Jose Ruiz. The amount of times we thought he was the next guy that was going to get dropped off the 40 man. Or that guest that we would have on who cover the team would say that he's the guy that's hanging on the ragged edge and they never moved on from him and it paid off. They they knew what they had. Let's look at the uh, the the starting rotation for next year. Okay. And, and, and here's the problem. It's a starting rotation that overall I liked. It's a starting rotation that did an awful lot of good. It was one of the best in, 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 the, in the AL. Right, in I the mean, regular season. But as you put it, and I think I've said it, and I heard Steve Stone say it a few different times over the last week in interviews. And a lot of other people are saying it when they got away from all the middling to, you know, lower level teams and had to go up against the best of the best in the postseason. They just didn't have what it takes to get through that. I mean, Giolito and Cease, those are the two guys that that I feel are going to either improve or stay where they're at. I think there's an awful lot still ahead for Dylan Cease. Lance Lynn is signed now for a couple of years because you gave him an extension. I expect him to be a great regular season pitcher. And as long as he doesn't run into a team that just eats fastballs like the Astros, somebody I can rely on in the postseason. But he, he also has his shortcomings. You got Dallas Keuchel, but a lot of people assume you're going to move on from him. And you got Carlos Rodon going into free agency. You're, you, you may give him a qualifying offer. He might actually take it. You're going to pay him like $18 million next year to stand out there and pitch. And you don't know if he's going to give you more than 140 innings because he doesn't do that. His career is just riddled with he's really good, can't finish a season. So, I mean, it, are, so that's, I guess, is the big question. 
Do you see him in the rotation? Do they give him a qualifying offer and possibly end up with him if he can't get anything? If Boros goes out there, if Scott Boros's agent goes out there, talks about how he's great, wants a massive contract, and everybody laughs at him, and he ends up on the White Sox. Like, is that something that, that could happen? Is he gone for good? Who moves into his spot? Who moves in the Keuchel spot? Is there anybody in this, uh, like, is Kopech automatically a starter if he's still a thrower? Is Lopez all of a sudden back in the conversation of being a guy who's going to start games for you because of the improvements that he made this year after getting his eyes taken care of? And we always thought he could be one of those guys. Like, what? how do you look at the construction next year? Because I see three guys I'm sure of, Lynn Giolito and Cease, in the rotation. And the other two spots, I don't know what Rick Hahn's going to do. Well, I, and I agree with you. It's it, it's those three guys and then two question marks. Uh, taking Dallas Keuchel out of the equation for just a second and focusing on Carlos Rodon, I don't think that there's much of a chance that the Sox retain him just on the qualifying offer. I think, I think a team is going to give him an opportunity out there. He showed a lot this year in terms of, uh, you know, his overall production. I think there's an injury history there that is still a question mark. Uh, you know, I know he came out throwing fire in his playoff start and he was hitting 99 and stuff like that. But I mean, really, honestly, I think a lot of teams are going to consider that when going to sign him. But there's there's going to be somebody that spends money on him because are the White Sox at somebody because I wouldn't do it. That's the funny thing. Like, I love what Carlos did. I know he's a draftee. I I felt tingles out there when I watched him in game four in the early part of that game. I wanted so much good for him. And yet I still go to myself, oh, do you really want when you're trying to win a championship to rely on a guy that has never been able, I mean, really to get through a season? Like, do you want to run into the same problem next year? Do you want to all of a sudden have him come off the mountain July of next year and he's got some issue? He only pitched 132 innings this year. And he, I think his high for his career is 160. And we, true, nobody on this team pitched 200 innings. Uh, Giolito is 178 and change. Cease at 165. Keuchel at 162. Lynn was only 157. But all those guys kind of were slowed down because they came off of a shortened season last year. Rodon is more likely than any of them to still have another very short low inning year next year, just because of his history before a pandemic shortened season. And I'm just not sure if you want to get into a bidding war where you spend a bunch of capital that you might be able to use somewhere else. Cause you have other deficiencies on this team. Well, and that's the problem is, is looking at Carlos Rodon's entire body of work for this season. He had the no hitter. He had these wonderful moments. He sort of started to feel like he, he was reaching his potential that he had, but again, still, doesn't touch 200 innings. He's not necessarily an ace level guy in that regard, you know, where he's going to be a huge innings eater. But, you know, for the White Sox purposes, I, I think he becomes a bad fit primarily because he's yet another guy that is reliant on going hard at teams. And so you are, again, perpetuating this thing. And I, and I, I, I think velocity is, is something that has gone from being a, at a premium to really something that I, I don't know that the Sox need to worry about too much with the starting rotation. I would almost rather spend money on Kevin Gaussman, like you said. And, and I don't I don't love Gaussman as a pitcher. I don't think or he's... Or somebody like he's, him. Or somebody like him. We're picking his name out because he's like one him. of these guys that's going to be available, we know. 
had a great season and also can throw a myriad of pitches. And that was the thing that we talked about on last episode and this episode that the White Sox have to be able to do better. And you're right. You, you already know you're going to you're going to have Giolito around. You're going to have Cease around. you got Lynn who throws three different kinds of fastballs. Do you really need another guy who's kind of one dimensional in how he goes out and attacks guys, too? Yeah, and especially at the price that he's going to cost, because, again, he's a guy who's under 30. And so I'll pick on the Mets because I feel like they're the team that, that gets suckered into these things sometimes, James McCann. Um, <laughs> just saying. Uh, but, I, you know, I can see the Mets going out and saying, hey, we're going to bolster our rotation, uh, you know, this 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 hallowed rotation that we have here with Carlos Rodon, especially if they're going to lose, you know, uh, they're going to lose a guy like Syndergaard or something like that, right? So there are going to be teams that are going to bid for him. If I'm the White Sox, I don't know that I go hard at bidding for Carlos Rodon because what you're really looking for is you're looking for, I think, somebody who is going to help eat innings to alleviate the idea that Lance Lynn, in the back end of his career, needs to be a huge innings eater, especially if he's going to tire out for the playoffs and you're going to rely on him, or that Giolito needs to hit 200 innings. Because you know these guys aren't Mark Burley where they're going out there and just sort of free and easy throwing. They're, they're, these are effort guys. And towards the end of the year, Lynn's knee started to bark at him. And Giolito, you know, just sort of lost a little bit of effectiveness. And it's going to happen that way. So I, I would almost, it sounds weird, but I'd like to see a Dallas Keuchel type in there. Are we being crazy getting rid of Keuchel when he could just rebound and be good again next year? Like, are we all just overreacting? Like, that's what I keep wondering because I want to, you keep bringing up like a guy like Dallas Keuchel. You said in the last episode, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself like, but we got a guy like Dallas Keuchel. His name's Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, we have a Dallas Keuchel-like guy who's sitting there. His name happens to be Dallas Keuchel. Right, like maybe Keuchel should have been on the roster. Like maybe things are different with a guy like him against the Astros. Everybody, including the White Sox, were wrong, possibly, with not having him in the rotation. It would have seemed crazy, but now when you see how they matched up and how everybody else out there was over-pumped and overthrowing, a guy like him might have sat there and said, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be crafty. And it might have actually worked. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.